Now, today we are in part three of our series called New Name. And in this series, we're exploring this really interesting thing that God does in Scripture just a handful of times. So just occasionally, God comes along and he changes someone's name. And that name change is a big deal for them. That name name change changes their reputation. It changes their identity. It changes their future. It changes their legacy. Like It radically changes them and how people view them and even how we view them from, from where we are looking back in history. So it was a big deal for God to come along and change someone's name. The reason we're exploring this is because I believe God is still in the name-changing, reputation-changing, future-changing business. And I'm curious, is anybody glad that God still does that? Anybody? Like, we all should be glad because we all need that. We all need a new name. We all need a new future. We all need a, a new identity. And we can find that new identity in Christ. Now, here's the bottom line thought that we've been exploring each week throughout this series. And the bottom line thought is just the main idea of the, the, the message or of the series that we can dig a little deeper in each week. So here's our bottom line thought. We aren't the names that other people call us. We are the name that God calls us. So let that sink in for just a moment. We aren't the names other people call us. And I'm curious. How many of you have ever been called a bad name before? If so, really, hold up your hand. Hold up your hand if you've been called a bad name before. Okay, look around. There's a whole lot of people who've been called bad names. And uh, it's sad, but name calling has been around for a long time. And if you go back in in, uh, biblical history, you find that name calling has been around almost as long as humans have been in existence. And today, we see name-calling everywhere from our playgrounds to the highest levels of politics. I don't know if anybody else is sad when a political leader calls another political leader a bad name, but that grieves my heart. It just makes me feel like we've reached a whole new low. And, you know, we can come up with all kinds of interesting names for just about anything. Like you pick the subject and we can call somebody a bad name over it. And we call people bad names because of their ethnicity, because of their education, because of their finances, because of their appearance, because of their politics. And right now, uh, if you're on social media or you watch the news, uh, you'll notice that there's a lot of name calling going on around the whole issue of COVID. Whether you're a mask wearer or not a mask wearer, whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, there's all kinds of names that that we're coming up with over again, all kinds of silly subjects. We've been calling people names for a long time, and it appears we're going to keep doing that until Jesus comes back. Here's a, a really sad thing that I think we all need to be aware of when it comes to name calling. Sometimes people even call bald people bad names. Like, can you believe that? Can you believe that anybody would call a bald person a bad name? Like, I just can't believe that. That's shocking to me. But you even find it in scripture. So one of my favorite Bible stories is in 2 Kings. And it's around the story of the Old Testament prophet Elisha, who was a bald guy who I identify with. 
And so Elisha, one time he was walking through this community and some rowdy boys came out. There were about 40 boys came out and they were start, starting to harass him, calling him names. They called him Baldy. They said, get out of our town, Baldy. And apparently Elisha had enough. And 2 Kings chapter 2 says that he cursed them in the name of the Lord. I'm like thinking, like, can you do that? Like, is that okay? And then he called two bears out of the wilderness to attack them. Like, I'm like, why is that in scripture? Like, I don't know that that's his finest moment, but being a bald guy, like, that feels pretty good to me, you know? Like, somebody makes fun of me. I'd love to call some bears out of the wilderness to maul them. That would be fantastic. So the moral of that story is don't make fun of bald people because apparently we have a special relationship with wild animals. So one of the things that I've uh, discovered about name calling is that what's harder for me than the names that other people call me are the names that I call myself. Anybody else call yourself bad names? Okay, number of us do that. The guy we're going to learn about today struggled with that. And you may not know that about him. You may not really know all of his story. But the guy we're going to learn about today, his name is Peter. We know him as Peter. But that wasn't his given name. His given name was Simon. He actually became one of Jesus' disciples. And another disciple, John, actually records the first time Simon met Jesus. And I want you to listen to what happened. In John chapter 1, verse 42, it says that Jesus said to him, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. OK, so let's put ourselves in Simon's spot for just a moment, OK? So you get a new job, like you're excited about this new job. You go in, your know, first day of work, you meet your boss. And your boss says, hey, welcome you know, to the team. Glad to have you. We're going to do some great things together. Uh, one thing you need to know is I'm going to change your name. I'm going to call you something different. Now, I'm thinking if I'm in that spot, you know, you meet your boss for the first time, you're thinking, well, that's weird. Like, who in the world is this person that they think they can change my name? I've been Simon my whole life. Like, do they think they're God or something? Well, in this context, yeah, Jesus knew he was God. And we'll find out in a little bit the significance of this name change for him. Now, I'm not sure what you know about Peter but it seems like most people know something about Peter, even if it's just a, a small thing. Um, Peter is a, a very familiar character in, in Christian history. And so a lot of people know at least something about Peter. So I'm going to ask for some audience participation now. And, and there'll be several other opportunities for you to participate throughout the service. So I'd love to hear what we know together about Peter. And if you're watching online, uh, feel free to just type in the chat of what you know about Peter. So for those here on campus, what do you know about Peter? He cut off an ear. He, an ear. he had a sword and, and like he was violent with that sword. What else? What was that? He denied Jesus. We'll explore that today. He's a fisherman. Yep. He walked on water. Like that's pretty cool to have on your resume, don't you think? He was there at, the, at Jesus' transformation. Yep. Impulsive. Impulsive. OK, we're getting into some of his personality. Was he the one who said he was favorite? No, that was John. Okay. That was John, yeah. So good. Yeah, you're close. 
So here's what we know. We know he's a fisherman. He's one of Jesus' closest disciples. Um, you may or may not know this, but not only was he one of the 12, but he was one of the three. So Jesus had 12 disciples that he poured himself into, and he had three, Peter, James, and John, that he spent even more time with, investing more in them. And again, Peter was one of those. Again, uh, he was uh, the only disciple to walk on water, had this bold personality, this act first, think later personality. He was very impulsive, reactive, highly emotional, very opinionated. Anybody know anybody like that? Okay, don't point at them. Just I'm wondering if you know them. All right, so that was Peter. And the interesting thing about Peter is you never had to wonder what Peter was thinking. If he thought it, it came out his mouth. And he was telling you what he was thinking. So he had that kind of personality, but he went on to become a prominent church leader. He had some very high moments with Jesus and some very low moments with Jesus. So we're going to look at a couple of each, a couple of his high moments, a couple of his low moments. We'll start first with one of his high moments. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he was referring to himself. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, if you're not familiar uh, with Jesus in this context and uh, his relatives, he was actually related to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was actually a little bit older than him, and he was executed. All the other people that were referenced here were Old Testament prophets. So people are saying, like, Jesus, uh, people are thinking that you're uh, an Old Testament prophet that has been raised back to life again. Jesus doesn't correct them, but he gets more personal. Verse 15. He asked, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter. There's that name change again. And Peter means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. There's an amazing backstory to the question that Jesus asked in the specific location that Jesus asked it in. And if you're curious, you want to dig deeper into this, I encourage you to do a little, little bit more research on Caesarea Philippi and what was happening there in that culture, in that time frame, when Jesus came to ask this question. I think you'll be amazed at some of the stuff that you'll learn. But the point for today is that Peter got the answer right. He knew who Jesus was. He was God in the flesh who came to save us from our sins. And I think on that day, Peter got a gold star by his name. But that gold star didn't last very long. Uh, right after this high moment, Peter went to one of his extremely low moments just a few moments later. Verse 21 says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. In verse 22, but Peter took him aside and began to, what's that next word? reprimand him 
for saying such things. Heaven forbid it, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Like, so just imagine the context of that. Uh, Again, Peter's just had this high moment, you know, like he's the rock. And Jesus is talking all this like doom and gloom stuff. And so Peter takes it upon himself. Again, like he has no problem telling people what he thinks. And so he pulls Jesus aside and has this private conversation. Jesus, like I know that, b- that building this, this movement that, that we're a part of is a lot of work and it's stressful. I know you've been healing a lot of people and performing miracles. I know you're worn out, but you got to stop all this doom and gloom stuff because you're bringing the team down. Okay, you know, the morale in the, in the cafeteria at lunch is going down. Like, you know, like we're getting off track. Like, like we've lost, you know, some of our vision because of what you're saying. Like, Jesus, remember who's on your team. Do you remember? I am Peter. Like, you even called me the rock. So, Jesus, you stay focused on the mission. Like, you keep healing people. You keep uh, performing miracles. I'll take care of everything else. The rock is here. And then Jesus looks at Peter. He says in verse 23, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Like if I'm Peter, I'm going, ouch. That's painful. Talk about being put in your place. Talk about a low moment. Ouch. But apparently, Peter didn't learn his lesson. After celebrating what we know as the Last Supper, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 31, he said, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Verse 33, then Peter declared. Remember, Peter's thinking it, Peter's saying it. He declared, even if all these other bozos desert you, I will never desert you. I'm in. I'm going to die with you if I have to. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And what happened after Jesus was arrested? Peter denied Jesus three times. And he got more indignant with his denials as the denials went along. So someone would ask him, like, you look like one of his followers. Nope, not me. You know, you're a Galilean. You sound like one of his followers. Nope, not me. He gets asked again, like, you've got to be one of his followers. He starts cussing and says, I don't even know the guy. I've never seen him before in my life. And then Matthew 26, verse 75 says, suddenly Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter went away weeping bitterly. Peter is the only disciple that we're aware of that publicly denied Jesus, who went from uh, declaring his undying allegiance to denying that he even knew Jesus. And like, I wonder what we would think about ourselves if we were in his spot. So what would you think about you if you were Peter? 
and you had denied Jesus publicly the way that Peter had. If you're watching online, uh, just type what you think you would feel in the chat. What's that? Crappy. Shame. Sad. Hate myself. I'm sure he felt all that stuff. I'm sure he felt like a failure. I'm sure he felt like God could never use him. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I have. I've felt like a failure before in my life. And actually, I think you would be very surprised at how often I feel like a failure. There are many days that I feel like I have failed as a leader. I've failed as a pastor. I've failed as a father. I've failed as a husband. I've failed as a friend. One of the loudest voices I hear in my mind is me telling myself, you're such a failure. God can never use you. God can never use you greatly because of the, the ways that you have blown it. And I don't know if you feel that way about yourself ever, but I think Peter did. And I think there's a whole lot of people today that, that still wrestle with those kind of feelings. And you know, maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you feel that way. Maybe you feel like you failed in your marriage. Maybe you feel like you failed as a parent. Maybe you feel like you failed as a child, or you feel like you failed because you, you haven't been able to defeat that addiction that's just been chasing you all of your life, or there's some secret sin that just keeps sneaking back up on you, or you failed to live up to the standard that you've put for yourself of what you think it means to follow Jesus. Like, there are many things that can make us feel like failures. And, and when we feel like a failure and we start calling ourselves failures, here's what happens for me. I, it probably happens for you as well. In those moments, I want to run away from God. I don't want to be around him. I don't feel worthy enough to be around him. Again, I feel like a failure. I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. I feel guilty. Often I think that I have to create this gap between my failure and reconnecting with God. And it's about me earning my way back into a right relationship with God. I think we're tempted to pull ourselves away and run away from God in those moments. But I want to shift back to one of Peter's high moments. So listen to what happened through Peter after Jesus rose from the grave. This is Acts chapter 2. It records Peter preaching boldly before thousands of people. And verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a, what's, what's that, those next two words? Long time. Um, you want to know why I preach for a long time sometimes? Because it's biblical. And it's a joke as well, so you can laugh, all right? So he preached for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. 
Peter preached one passionate message. And God brought 3,000 people into a relationship with him. That was an amazing high moment. And that happened after his greatest failure. So Peter went from a complete failure to completely faithful to God. He was so dedicated to the mission that God had given him that church history teaches us that he was crucified for the work that he did for Christ. And yet, when it came to his crucifixion, he said, you can't crucify me the way that my Savior died because I'm not worthy to die the way that he died. So please crucify me upside down. Imagine how difficult crucifixion would have been anyway. And he says, I can't do it the way that Jesus had it done. That's some incredible dedication. So I step back from that and I look at what happened you know, before his failures. I, I look at what happened after his failures and I wonder how in the world did he go from failure to faithful? Like, how did that happen? I, I think the story behind that is centered around two encounters he had with Jesus and one decision he had to make. The first encounter that we're going to look at actually happened after Jesus' resurrection. And after Jesus rose from the grave, he started revealing himself in bodily form to his disciples. He actually revealed himself to over 500 of his disciples on different occasions. On one occasion, his disciples were out fishing. And uh, Jesus was on shore making breakfast. And he invited them to breakfast. I think they had chicken and waffles that morning or something. <laughs> Maybe fish and waffles. That's probably more appropriate for the context. Um, so they're having breakfast together in the morning. And Jesus zeroes in on Peter in front of everybody, has this conversation. And he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, yes, Lord, I do. He says, then feed my sheep. Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Then feed my sheep. He asks him one more time, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, Peter's going like, Jesus, you know everything. Like, I don't know what else to say. You know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Most Bible scholars believe that this is the moment that Jesus forgives Peter. And says, Peter, I'm going I'm to like slow this down. This might feel uncomfortable in front of everybody else, but I'm going to slow this down for you. Peter, remember when you denied me that first time? I forgive you for that. Peter, remember that second time? I forgive you for that as well. Peter, remember the third time when you started cussing? I forgive you for that as well. Now, Peter, I have a mission for you. Don't stay in your past. Don't stay stuck in your failure. I've got a mission for you. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to shepherd people towards me and grow them up in me. And gratefully, thankfully, Peter took that mission. He took that mission on. The other encounter Peter had with Jesus happened before his denial. When Jesus told Peter, that he would deny him three times, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, adds this. Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. He singles him out. I've pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. 
So Jesus knew that, that Peter was going to fail him. He knew that. And he knew that Peter was going to have to decide what he was going to do with that failure. Was he going to keep running away from God? Or was he going to run to God? Was he going to repent of his sin, receive forgiveness, and let God use him again? That's the decision that we all have to make when we encounter moments of failure. We have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay stuck in this failure? Or am I going to run to God, repent of what I've done wrong, and let God use me again? Repentance carries several connotations to it, several ideas. So it, it basically means to turn from. So to turn from sin and turn to God. It also carries the idea of admitting. It's where we admit specifically what we've done. It's not this general blanket like, forgive me for all the stupid stuff I've done forever. It's specific. God, forgive me for that moment that I denied you. Forgive me for that moment that I did not uh, shine the light of Jesus in front of my coworkers the way that I should. Forgive me for that moment that, that I, I didn't engage the mission that you had given me. It's specific. That's what rep repentance is all about. So repentance means turning from, turning to. And I, I want you to think about it in this context, especially if you're a parent. If you're not a parent, just think about possibly being a parent and what you would want for one of your kids. So imagine when, not if, when one of your kids fails. And I'm not talking about a mistake, but I mean like a failure moment when they fail and they trip up and you know, there's some damage in the relationship between you and them. What do you want for them? What do you want for your kids? Do you want your kids to be defined by their failure? Do you want them to feel like, oh, I've screwed up so much, never can have a relationship with my parents again? Do you want your kids to run away from you? Do you want them to feel shame and guilt and embarrassment and, and have them kind of crawl away from you and feel like that they're not worthy to, to be in your presence because they've failed? Or do you want them to run to you quickly and say, Mom, Dad, I've blown it. And this is where I've blown it. This is how I've blown it. Do you want that admission of what they've blown so that you know they've learned something? Doesn't mean they're going to be perfect from that moment, but that means they've learned something so that they can move on in their life. I think most of us as parents would say, you know what, that's what I want for my kids. When my kids mess up, I want them to come to me quickly. Don't run away from me. Don't hide. Come to me quickly. Tell me what you've done so we can work on this. And so you aren't defined by your failure. God wants the same thing from us. He wants us to run to him. He wants us to admit. He wants us to repent, turn from, turn to him. Ask for forgiveness and receive the forgiveness that he pours out so graciously for all of us. That's what God wants from us. And when we do that kind of stuff, I think God gives us a new name a new identity, a new reputation that helps us live out the mission that God has given us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you the same mission that he gave Peter. That's to shepherd people towards Jesus and help them grow up in their relationship with Jesus. He wants us to do everything we can to help everybody around us step past their own failure so they can understand God loves them, God forgives them, and God wants to use them. 
So Peter received God's forgiveness, embraced the meaning of his new name, and he became the rock who helped others put their faith in Jesus. There's some confusion out there about what the rock means. And some people have have built uh, Christianity upon Peter. That's not the context of what Jesus was talking about. The context of what Jesus was talking about is this idea that we understand Jesus gives new names to people when we come to him and, and we make right what we've done wrong. And Jesus hands us the keys to eternal life and says, listen, I've got the keys. I'm giving them to you. And I want you to help other people understand what it means to have eternal life. That's what Christianity is built on. It's built on the rock of Jesus. It's not necessarily built on just Peter alone. It's built on Peter and all other followers who do what Peter did. Run to Jesus. Run to him for forgiveness and then fulfill the mission that God has for us. And that's something that all of us need to do. And I think it's so important because I think the time is so short. Like, I actually believe that Jesus is coming back soon. And so if that's true, like I don't think we have time to sit around sitting in our self-pity Uh, feeling like we're not worthy to be in God's presence. We're not worthy to, to fulfill any mission that God has for us or to be used by God. We don't have time for that. Why? Because there are people around us every day who desperately need Jesus. They need someone to show them how to step past their failure. You know, sometimes the failures that we have in life are used by God to help other people understand that, like, it's not possible for us to be perfect. But we can fall down and get up and keep moving forward. There's this powerful verse in Proverbs 24 that King Solomon talks about. He says, the righteous may fall seven times, but they get up again. What's the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? The righteous get up when they fall. The unrighteous stay down. So if you've fallen, guess what? You can get up again. You can get up. You can run to your heavenly father. You can receive forgiveness. You can repent. You can admit what you've done, and you can be used by God again. And maybe this morning, someone someone needed to hear that. And so as we wrap up today, we're actually going to provide an opportunity during our closing song for you to run to your heavenly father. We're going to sing a song called Run to the Father. And as we sing this, I encourage you, if you've been in a spot, maybe you've been a Christ follower, maybe you felt like, you know what, you've blown it, whether that was 10 years ago or whether you blew it last night and you just feel like you can't be in God's presence, you can't be used by God, I encourage you to to let the truth of this morning's lesson impact your life, to understand that you can be like Peter, you can go from failure to faithful when you run to God and let him forgive you and use you because he wants to use you. Again, he has a mission for you. He wants you to fulfill that mission every day. Maybe you've uh, felt like you couldn't be used by God. Uh, Maybe you've never started a relationship with him and you felt like, I I can't even begin a relationship with God because I'm just not a good enough person. Like I haven't followed the rules. I think when you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, it's about a relationship. It's not about checking off boxes, following rules. It's about learning to have that relationship. And when we trip and fall, we get up and we run to him again. 
And so maybe for some of you, you need to start that relationship with him for the very first time. And you can run to your heavenly father during this song. This could be a life-changing moment for you where you walk out of here knowing that you can be faithful because God's changed your name. You can get a new name this morning. So as we sing, engage this song, engage a conversation with God in whatever level is appropriate for you. And uh, if you need to have a conversation after the service, if you need some prayer after the service, I encourage you to stop by our care center. Uh, We've got some amazing people there that would love to pray with you and help you any way that we can. I'll be out in the lobby as well. I'd love to to have a deeper conversation with you. Uh, If you're watching online and you have a prayer issue and you want to reach out to us, just email us at prayer at theepicchurch.com and we'll get that to our prayer team and we'll be praying for you. So if you will, let's, let's pray together. And then our worship team is going to come guide us. And I encourage you to engage this song in whatever way is appropriate again. So God, I'm just so grateful for Peter's story. Lord, I love the fact that, that you don't present these perfect people to us in scripture that, that you want us to, to learn to be like, that you present people like Peter, who uh, was uh, opinionated and Um, a very impulsive, reactionary, made some big declarations that he failed to fulfill. He had moments of failure. Lord, because I think in those moments when, when we read that in scripture, we can identify with that because all of us have failed. We've all failed at one point or another. And Lord, I'm so grateful to know that, that you do not define us by our failure. You define us by our future and our relationship with you. Lord, I'm grateful that you give new names. And I believe that you still do that today. Lord, I think that right now, like today, could be the moment for someone to get a new name. And maybe they felt like a failure. Maybe they felt like they've had to run away from you. And yet, like through Peter's story, you're telling them, like, run to me quickly. And today, maybe somebody's going to run to you for the very first time and put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, if so, I know your arms are open and waiting. Lord, there's others that have had a relationship with you that maybe have distanced themselves for a significant period of time just because they feel like a failure. Lord, I know today you're calling them back. You're saying, I've got grace and mercy to give you, to pour out for you. And what we need to do, Lord, is repent. Turn from our sin. Admit our sin to you and run to you quickly so that we can move on in life and not be defined by our failure. But receive a new name that helps us live out the mission that you have for us. So God, thank you for being a God who cares about changing our identity, changing our reputation, changing our future, changing our legacy. Thank you for being a God who doesn't say, hey, you have to be perfect. God who says, when you mess up, make it right and come to me and I will help you do that. So this morning through this song, Lord, we're running to you. In Jesus' name, amen.